Father, you are worthy of worship. And Jesus, we praise you for what you have done. We say hallelujah to you, our King. And we pray that again we would submit ourselves to you, and especially now as we open your word. Remind us of your love and teach us how we should love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I've been mentioning, we're one of many churches in Fergus Falls that are doing a sermon series around the idea of loving our neighbors. But here at Cornerstone, we didn't start off our series talking about loving our neighbors. We started off by talking about loving the Lord our God because that love that we want to show our neighbors doesn't come from nowhere. It doesn't just come from us and our own strength and effort. It comes from God. So we talked about the love that God has for us and how we are supposed to respond with love to Him. And in that love, then, we are to love our neighbors. And last Sunday at the community worship service, for those of you that were there, you heard the pastors talk about how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, lost people like us. We were lost sinners like Zacchaeus was, and God in his mercy came to seek after us. And now we are to join Jesus in that mission of seeking the lost as well so that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So as we look at loving our neighbors, I want you to realize that that is connected very much to the love that God has for us and it is meant to flow out of the love that we have for God. What is love? You ever tried to describe it? Try to, just in your own mind right now, think of a a one-sentence description of love. It's kind of funny because everybody in the world knows that love is a good thing, but I think it's actually somewhat hard to define there was a theologian, Michael Wilkins, he tried to define it. I thought it was pretty good. He said, to love is to give someone what the person needs. And I might just add to that that what they need, it's, it may be not always what they think they need. So what we need to do is we need to look out for their best interests. And to love them means to do what we can to help meet their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And then again, just I want to make this point extra solid in your mind. The love that we give them is a love that comes from God. So any definition of love that doesn't come from God is misguided. It's wrong. So the best way, if we're talking today about loving our neighbors, the best way to make sure that we can do that is to make sure that we are living in a love relationship with God. So what I want to do today in my sermon is I want to look again at some passages that we looked at two Sundays ago, uh, the, the Great Commandment passage in Matthew 22, and then also some verses from 1 John 4. But when we did it two Sundays ago, we were doing it looking at the love of the Lord our God and how we're to love Him, and today we want to get to this point where we see within that love how we can then love our neighbors. Okay, so I'm going to read Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40 first. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So in this passage, the spiritual leader came up to test Jesus with a question about which was the most important command in all Old Testament law. Now, 
it had been recognized for a long time that there were obviously many commands in the Old Testament law, but not all of them were equal. Some of them had more importance. So this guy came up to Jesus and said, which one is the most important? And, and Jesus gave him two answers. And, and just a little side note here. Um, we're talking about the law. So this guy asked him, what, what are the most important commands in the law, which we would now call the Old Testament, which we now call part of the Old Covenant. Now, it's interesting because we live in the New Covenant. So I've been thinking, well, how does this apply? Jesus gave answers in regard to the Old Covenant. How does it apply to us in the New Covenant? Well, here's what I would say, and you don't have to agree with me on this, but my thought is that Jesus gave us a timeless principle here. And I think that the answers that he gave in regard to the Old Covenant still stand in the New Covenant. That still, for us who know Jesus, and, and for us on this side of the cross, I think that the, the greatest command is still to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think that we would include some other commands underneath that command, like the command to repent, like the command to submit to our Lord. But I think that all of that actually fits really well underneath this command that Jesus reminded us of here, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And, and still I would say that the second greatest command is to love our neighbor as ourselves. You read the New Testament, you see a ton of commands like that about how we are to love one another. So even though they were talking about Old Covenant, I think, that what, I think Jesus' answer was timeless and still applies to us today. So he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And remember, the guy only asked Jesus for one answer. So Jesus could have stopped there and, and would have fully answered the guy's question, but he wanted to say something else. So he went on in verse 39 to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to I summarize my sermon from two Sundays ago in one minute. Okay? Get out your stopwatch if you want to. Now I know what some of you are thinking too. Eric, if you can preach a sermon in one minute, why don't you just always do that? Well... I'm not going to dignify that question with a response, all right? I'm insulted that you would ask me that. No. Okay, one minute. I actually practice this at home. It takes me about 70 seconds, maybe, but here we go. If you, some of you are actually doing this, aren't you? Okay. Sarah Joyce, give me a time. Give me a countdown. A ready, set, go. Okay, ready, set, go. Okay. Jesus said the first and greatest command is the command to love the Lord our God. Now, it's important to recognize that this is first and greatest. Okay? And he said that there is a second that is like it. The second command is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we can't overlook that one is first and greatest. I think that sometimes we try to go into the second command and to love our neighbor. But what we need to realize is if we are truly able to love our neighbor, it is only going to be because we have first love the Lord our God. Now that doesn't mean that we should neglect the second command. I think that there would be some people out there that have wrongly looked at these two commands and said, well, if one is first and greatest, then that's all I need to do. Because really what we're talking about here is two of the greatest of the 613 laws. So they're both in the top 99th percentile. But there's an order here. We have to do one first, and that is love the Lord our God. We do that first. And from that... We love our neighbors as ourselves. So we emphasize the order. How far? What, what did I do? That was a minute. That was a minute. All right. I, I must have forgot to say something. So. Okay. 
And again, the point I'm emphasizing today, loving our neighbor comes from somewhere. It comes from the love that God has for us. One flows from the other. We're supposed to love our neighbors in the strength that God provides. So here's a great prayer to pray. If you want to love your neighbors, say, Lord, fill me with your love. And from that love, help me to love my neighbors. Because we're certainly not supposed to stop with loving the Lord. Jesus went on and said there is a second commandment that is like the first one. And in that Matthew passage, Jesus quoted from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And in that passage, if you were to read Leviticus 19, what you would see is a bunch of laws. It's almost like one after the other, law, 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 law. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, there's this one that Jesus picked out of the greatest that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you might remember an interaction that a different guy had with Jesus. Actually, it might have even been the same guy, but in a different book of the Bible, there was a guy that came up to Jesus and, and said, who is my neighbor? And remember how Jesus responded to that question? With a parable. Uh, candy bar question. Does anybody remember what parable it was? Good Samaritan garlands. All right, see me for a candy bar later. A real one, maybe. <laughs> the Good Samaritan. Remember the Good Samaritan? There was a guy who was robbed and beaten and just laying there on the ground. And three people passed by, and the first two were Jewish religious leaders. And you might have thought, oh, they would be the people that would have compassion. But they didn't. They just walked on by. It was the third guy, the Samaritan, the person who Jews might have looked down on because he wasn't one of them. He was the one who stopped and had compassion on that man who was in need. And Jesus' question then was, who was a neighbor to that man? And the, the answer is obvious. It was the Samaritan, the one who stopped and had compassion, who was a neighbor. So you see, neighbors aren't just people that we choose to associate with. In fact, in the same chapter in Leviticus where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, we read 16 verses later, the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. God knows us. He knows that it's all too easy for us just to like and to associate with the people that we want to associate with. But God puts special commands in his word saying things like, love the alien as yourself. It says of the Good Samaritan that he, saw, he both saw the man in need and took pity on him. Those are two important things I think that we need to do. To see and to take pity we're supposed to see those around us. And I think, if I can just be a social commentator for a little while here, I think it could be all too easy for us not to see our neighbors. We drive into our garage, we go into our house, and we can pretend that nobody else is around us. And I think that we're losing something in our country. I really think we do. I think we're losing this concept of neighbors. If you think about 60 years ago what a neighbor was, and you think about it today, and so many people today don't even know their neighbors, don't even know the names of their neighbors. I think our country in general is losing this neighborhood feel. And I think it's a tragic loss, actually. I think it's something that is not according to God's plan. I think that we need to do what the Good Samaritan did first. He saw the man. He saw the need. But then there, he didn't just stop at seeing the need. The other two people saw the need, but they stopped there. They, they didn't help. The Good Samaritan went on and he took pity on the man. 
He took the time and the effort, even at financial cost to himself, to do what the man needed done for him. Because you see, Jesus reminds us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean for you to love yourself? Well, what do we do for ourselves? We take care of things that are needed. As we're able, we take care of ourselves. If we're hungry, we eat. If we need sleep, we need sleep. We do what is needed for ourselves. So how should we love our neighbors? We should help them with their needs. And in that sense, I think that's why the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 13, love is the fulfillment of the law. All those things that we're supposed to do our neighbors are really summed up underneath this umbrella of loving them. And not just loving them, but loving them as we love ourselves. As we would take care of our own needs, we look to their needs. Okay, so summarizing this Matthew passage, we are first to love the Lord our God, and then from that love, we are to love our neighbors. And let me say this in regard to loving our neighbors, and this is, uh, this is kind of a main point of what I'm trying today, so if you're sleeping, wake yourself up, and then if your neighbor is sleeping, love your neighbor as yourself and wake them up so that they can hear this part. Okay, thank you. <laughs> If loving the Lord is the first and greatest commandment for us to follow, then the first and greatest commandment for our neighbor to follow is that they would love the Lord, their God, and then the greatest act of love that we can do for them is to help them love the Lord, their God. See how that goes? Most important thing for us, loving the Lord. That means if we truly love our neighbors, we would be interested in seeing them love the Lord and we would be doing what we can. So our love for our neighbors has a purpose. And I thought about that. Is this an agenda? Do we have ulterior motives? Ah, I don't know about that. But we do have a purpose. Our purpose is that our neighbors, that those around us, would know Jesus Christ and would grow in their faith. Now, some of your neighbors may very well already know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and that's great. And then we want them to grow in their faith. So we love them to help them grow. But if they don't yet know Jesus the most loving thing that you can do for them is to point them to Jesus Christ. Now, that's not to say that if their house is on fire that you should uh, you know, try to talk to them before you call 911. I'm not saying it's always the, number, you know, the first thing we should do, but I would say that it's the most important thing that we should do is to love them in such a way that they would know Jesus and grow in their faith. So we are to love our neighbors, and within the context of that love, we are to help them see what they truly need. Now, if I'm right about this, and I I think I am, then the best way for us to love our neighbors is for us to be rooted in the love of God. So I want to go back to John 4, excuse me, 1 John 4, like I did a few weeks ago, and just remind you quickly about some of the things of God's love for us. Because that's the love that we are trying to love them with. So we're still headed to this place where we're saying we want to love our neighbors, and I'm just asking the question right now, with what kind of love shall we love them? And the answer to that is the love that God has for us. In 1 John 4, both in verses 8 and 16, we see this simple but powerful phrase, God is love. So again, any attempt to define love without God is wrong. Anybody who says to you, oh, you have an agenda because you're just trying to get them to love the Lord, they don't understand what true love is. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that non-Christians can't do loving things or that, that atheists 
can't do loving things. An atheist can shovel your driveway just as well as you can shovel your driveway. A non-Christian mother can love her baby. These are all true things. Now, have you ever stopped to ask why? If I'm saying that the only way that we can truly love our neighbors is if we love God, how is it then that a non-Christian can show love? Well, I think there's kind of a neat answer to that, and I hope you can follow along with me. Think about the Trinity. Okay? God has always existed. God has always existed as Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have always existed with a love relationship within themselves. So from eternity past, and I tried to think about what that meant, eternity past, I tried to think about it this week, and it just boggled my mind. I can't get how there has just always been God, and, and now we're here. I just I don't understand that. But it's true. And within that relationship, since eternity past, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always loved each other. And then think about the very first chapter of the Bible, creation. Think about the crowning act of creation. And what did God say? Let us make man... By, he said, let us. There's a plurality there. There's, there's three members of the Trinity. Somebody finish the sentence for me. I'm running out of candy bars, but let us make man in our image, in our likeness. What does that mean? I hope you stop and ask that question to yourself. What does it mean that we're created in the image of God? Well, it means that we are supposed to be like Him. In fact, the New Testament shows us that very clearly. It says that we are to be like Christ. So, God created us to be able to do things like Him. That's every single one of us. And by the way, even non-Christians have the image of God. So that answers our question there. How is an atheist able to do loving things? Because even an atheist is created in the image of God. Now, it doesn't do them any good on Judgment Day to say, hey God, I did some loving things. No, it doesn't work that way. Yet, they are still able to do some loving things just because God put His fingerprint on our hearts. And every single one of us is able to do some loving things. So the image of God in us, and more importantly in us Christians, what it means is that we are supposed to become more and more like Jesus Christ. What Adam and Eve lost at the fall, God wants to reproduce in us through the Holy Spirit, through this process of making us more holy and more like Christ. So we are to love our neighbors in fulfillment of these two great commands to love God. And does it make sense now why the two greatest commands in the Bible both have to do with love? If God has always existed within the Trinity, a, a loving relationship there, and he created us in our image, we are supposed to be like him by continuing to love him and to love others. As part of that plan, God wanted to show us what true love is. He doesn't expect us just to come up with our own idea of love and to love the people around us. In 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because He first loved us. So you see, our love comes from His love. How are we supposed to understand God's love? Well, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Want to know what love is? Look at the cross. At the cross, we're reminded that we are sinners. It was our sin that put him there. But God, in his love, sent his son to do that, and Jesus, in his love for us, willingly went there. 
so that we would not have to go the rest of eternity in a state of death, but that we could be made alive in Christ. That's God's love for us. He looks at us and says, I love you. I want to rescue you out of that. So that we could have that relationship with him for the rest of eternity. I made the point two weeks ago that we are God's neighbors and that we live in the universe that he created. So God, wanting to show his love to his neighbors, sent Jesus Christ to us. Before we were even born, God gave us an example of what it means to love. And then let's go on in 1 John 4 to see how we're supposed to love our neighbors as a response. In verse 11 it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Anyone in here received love from God? We all have, right? If we've received love from God, we are to give that love to others. And it's like the, the children's sermon example I gave from two Sundays ago, where there was a pitcher of water that represented God and his love, and I was pouring that pitcher of water into a glass, and that glass represents us. And we don't just take a little bit of water and then go on our way. The point is, is that we are to keep on being filled with that love of God, the love which never runs out. And as that glass fills up, we feel, feel full with the love of God. And as we keep on then receiving that love of God, His love overflows from us to those around us so that we're full and we can love our neighbors the way that God wants us to. And then again, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Do you notice the order there again? Love comes from God. We receive it. We give it back to God and we give it to others. And I was thinking about basking as well. Brian, you mentioned basking in God's glory. I was thinking about how a, a sunbather basks in the sun and they're changed by the sun. That's what we're supposed to do with God. We're supposed to bask in His glory and be changed by Him as we do that. And then from there, we are to give God's love to others. And we can't give a sun, you know, a, a suntan to others, which is too bad. You know, maybe it'd be nice to do that. We can't do that, but we can give God's love to others. First John four twenty one. He has given us this command: Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's actually stated pretty harshly one verse earlier in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we're supposed to check our hearts here. We're supposed to ask this question, do I truly love God? And one of the ways that we can evaluate our hearts is by looking at those around us and saying, do I truly love those around me? And if the answer to that question is no, then we're supposed to call into question whether we actually love God. So how are you doing at loving those around you? The theologian Leon Morris said, wholehearted love for God means coming in some measure to see other people as God sees them and all people as the objects of God's love. Sometimes it can be easy to think, well, I know that God would want something good for me, but what about the people around you? God loves them too and we're supposed to love them. Or better yet, as Jesus said in John 13, 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus kind of raised the bar there. You notice how he said in the greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself? 
Well, now he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How much does Jesus love us? He died on the cross for our sins. That's the pattern for us. So we are to look at our neighbors with the love of God. We are supposed to go to them and show them the love of God. Um, it's the, uh, the If Fergus Falls Women, that's a group of women, Christian women in this city, who kind of challenged us pastors to do this sermon series. And they talked about neighboring as a verb. I like that. We're supposed to go out and neighbor our neighbors. We're actually supposed to do neighborly things with them. And yes, we are supposed to do it with our actual neighbors. Sometimes it's funny how the concept of loving our neighbors is a great one, but then when it comes to like loving that person next door, maybe it's not so easy. But yes, you are supposed to love your neighbors, all of them. Even the one who mows his lawn at 5 a.m. and wakes you up. Even the one who always seems to be in need of something. Even the one who always has something negative to say. We are supposed to love our actual neighbors with the love of God. Remember, God loves your neighbor deeply. And you know one of the loving things that God has done for your neighbors? He has sent you to be their neighbor. Not that we think highly of ourselves like that, but think of it this way. God loves your neighbor, and therefore, he wants you to do neighborly things to them in love. So how do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we love our neighbors? What's the first step? It's not a trick question, but it's one I want to remind you of, one that you might easily forget. I was asking my kids that question just last night. What's the first step? And I think one of the answers was, read the Bible? And it's like, no, that's not the... Actually, it kind of is the right answer. Because the right answer, the first step, is to love the Lord our God. We don't just love them with the love that, that we can drum up by ourselves. We love them with the love of God. So if we want to love our neighbor, we first and greatest should love God. Now, I'm not saying you have to spend five years loving God before you can love your neighbor. It's kind of a, at the same time, sort of a deal. We keep on loving God, and with that love, we love our neighbors. As part of that step, walking with the Lord, we should be praying for our neighbors. So as we're meeting with God, we should talk to God, not just about our needs, but about the needs of those around us. So we pray for them. And here's one really awesome thing about praying for our neighbors. As we pray for them, God works on our heart to help us love them more. So pray for your neighbors. Think about their needs. And as we pray, you might notice that your heart changes for that neighbor that used to annoy you. Maybe now you start to love them because you're praying for them. I think that prayer is one of the most loving things that we can do for a person. However, moving on from there, you can pray for your neighbor, but they might not feel that as love. They might not even know that you're doing it. I think that we should be doing tangible things for our neighbors as well. The president of Campus Crusade... I, I'm sorry. President of Crew. I didn't try to do that. They changed their name. President of Crew, Steve Douglas, prays daily, this is his prayer, that I could be a tangible conveyor of God's love to some individual in need. I thought that was a great prayer. He said there was one day where just all of a sudden, out of the blue, he was able to do something loving for a person. He said, I bet that happened because I asked God if I could do that for somebody. So let's be praying that we could show God's love to those around us. 
And then from there, that means that we look for the, the interests of our neighbors. Is there anything that we can help them with? Mowing, shoveling, raking, or listening to them. Sometimes that's what our neighbors really want, is just for somebody to talk with. And one key component in all of this is building relationships. We're supposed to know our neighbors. That means spending time with them. That means that you might need to take the initiative. Like I said before, I think our, our nation is losing something. We're losing this concept of neighbors. And I think one of the reasons why is I think that everybody is waiting for somebody else to make the first move to be a neighbor. So let's be those people. Let's be the ones who go to our neighbors and talk with them. Talk to them about their job, about their kids, about their hobbies. Get to know them. That means we spend time with them. Maybe we share meals with them. Maybe we invite them over. If we see they have a need, let's see what we can do to help them. Another way we can love our neighbors, forgive them. Any of you here ever had a neighbor do something annoying? Anybody here ever realize that that's a two-way street and that you might have done something annoying to your neighbor? Let's be people who forgive. Let's not hold grudges. And then as I've been saying, let's remember what's most important for them, that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. As we are loving them, let's talk to them about God. And by the way, I don't think it's going to be all that weird if we're truly loving them and if they feel loved by us and they know that we're following Christ, I don't think it's going to be that weird to talk with them about God. I really don't. It's one of the things, hopefully the thing that's most important to us, it's not going to be that weird to talk about it with them if they have seen that we love them. Now, I was talking with a a pastor friend of mine this week, and he said that we are supposed to earn the right to share truth with our neighbors. And I challenged him a little bit on that, and I said, and he agreed with me, said, I think we already have the right talk to our neighbors. Jesus gave us that right. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. We have the right to share truth with our neighbors. What we need to do is to earn their favor, to earn a hearing with them. And we do that in part by loving them, by looking out for their interests, by showing them that we care about them as a person. Then one more specific application, like I've been telling you for over a month, host a block party. The reason that the If Fergus Falls group has challenged us to do these block parties is so that we would get to know our neighbors. Because if you're going to love them, you have to get to know them. If you want them to know Christ, the best way to do that is to love them and to share Christ with them in the context of a relationship. So the reason we're doing these block parties is not to annoy them or to bother them with another thing to do in their summer. It's so that we can be neighbors to them, that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And again, there's a bulletin insert. If you're a little bit scared about how to do this, just take one of those bulletin inserts. We've got invitations on the info table there. Take those with you. And then all the while, let's be praying for them. And let's remember what's most important for them, that they would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's do our part to love them with the love God gives us. So here's the conclusion. We see a pattern in these passages of Scripture. The pattern is that first God loves us, and in response we are to love God. 
And within the context of that relationship where God loves us and we love him, we are to let his love overflow to those around us. And in that sense, the cycle just continues and continues and continues, like the the water, the never-ending pitcher of water that constantly pours out into us, and we're full, and we give that love to those around us. 1 John 4.12 If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Dan Schindler has said that we should look at Scripture for what amazes us. And I was amazed by this verse this week. Let me read it again. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Think about that. The complete love of God, the infinite, eternal God, the complete love of God in us. Our best life is a life where we receive love from God, where we love Him in response, and where we love those around us. And God says, if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Anybody want that complete love of God filling you? We can have that kind of love as we love God, and with that love, as we love one another. So what have you been doing to love your neighbors? Think about the last month, the last year. What could you say that you have done for them in love? And I don't ask you that to beat yourself up for it, but I ask you that to ask this next question. What can you do to love your neighbors? What can you start to do? What can you continue to do to love your neighbors in hopes that they will love God and grow in their faith? What can you do to love your neighbor as yourself? Would you pray with me? God, we're very grateful that you have shown your love to us. Thank you, God. We would be lost without it. We thank you that your love fills us. And I pray that your love would fill us more and more as we love you in response to your love for us and as we love those around us. God, would you strengthen us. Fill us with your love and strengthen us in the power of the Holy Spirit to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love one another as Jesus loved us. God, we pray that our neighbors would know Jesus and would grow in their faith. And as part of that, we pray that we would love them and would do our part in sharing your love with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.